Before we start this show, just a word from our sponsor. 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest that pro wrestling has had to offer. Along with their awesome line of pro wrestling apparel, they do offer many services. In the world of wrestling, there are hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads. Don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. If you would like to discuss possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or whatever, drop them a line. Go to 20 by 20 apparel. That's the number 20 X, the number 20 apparel.com. Now let's get to the show. Fresh is the word. I'm Jim Duggan, got long wood for plenty hoes. I keep it fresher than fresh, but you already know. You suckers bum me, I'm money, I got a ton of flows. My weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll. Your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though. We see your kicks and we laugh and yell about it though. You see me shining like a suit on puppy. You know my grind and shit is too strong, buddy. That's why the dude call money. I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all. Cause it's nothing to me, it's probably something to y'all. Trying to smoke like me, then come and fuck with your dog. Got a closet full of kids, you can't cop it tomorrow. And I'm fresher than the freshest, you can tell it's in my essence. Bitch, you see the way I'm rapping? Yes, I do this shit to death. I tell I'm running out of breath. I tell somebody cut a check. But either way, you know it's fresh. But either way, you know it's fresh. Fresh. We fresh. 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 Welcome to the Fresh of the Word podcast. I'm your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. And on Fresh of the Word, we like to deliver wisdom through great stories from the minds of bright creatives of pop culture. Through those stories, we like to dissect the journey of our guests and present actionable lessons and advice for our listeners, no matter what career or avenue of artistry they pursue. And before we get into this episode, I want to give a shout out to Knox Money, Bang Belushi, and Foulmouth for the theme music for Fresh of the Word. And if you would like to support the podcast, you can always go to freshofthepodcast.com and just share any of the links for any of the episodes on any of your social media platforms. And also, you can subscribe to Fresh of the Word pretty much anywhere that podcasts are streamed. And that includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, pretty much everywhere. And please, rate and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. It would definitely help out the show. If you want to contact me, you can always reach me by email at djkfresh at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at kfresh is the word and on facebook at facebook.com slash kfresh and you can also follow fresh is the word on twitter at fresh is the word and that's is with iz instagram at fresh is the word podcast and facebook at facebook.com slash fresh is the podcast and this is episode 155 the guest for this episode is reb beach the original and present guitarist for the rock band winger and guitarist since 2002 in white snake Fresh off celebrating their 40th anniversary, Whitesnake recently released their latest studio album, Flesh and Blood, 
During our chat, we talked about the new album, working with David Coverdale, the role Red Beach plays in White Snake, having such a storied career in two bands like Winger and White Snake, his childhood, his early years in the music industry as a session musician, and how the music of Winger and White Snake have been able to stay alive after all these years. And before we get into this interview with Brad Beach, I want to remind you how you can support Fresh of the Word. I am now on Patreon at patreon.com slash Fresh of the Word. And as little as a dollar per month, you can help support me and Fresh of the Word. And for as little as $3 a month, you'll have access to the Fresh is the Word Patreon-only exclusive podcasts, which I dive deep into my audio archives of interviews that are recorded outside the Fresh is the Word podcast from the past decade or so for, that I did for various publications. Some of these weren't even used at all. And already we have, I have interviews with Danny Brown, Cool Keith and Dubstep producer Twelfth Planet already posted on the Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash fresh of the word and sign up now. As little as a dollar will help out a lot. And there's other tiers available where you can actually be a part of the podcast. So once again, go to patreon.com slash fresh of the word. All right, let's get on to the interview with Reb Beach. To uh, start things off, um, you're, you've been a part of White Snake since 2002. You're uh, pretty much a veteran of the group now, of the band now. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys got a new album coming out uh, with uh, Fresh and Blood. What's, um, you know, these days a lot of older bands might not care too much about making new music. Why do you guys want to do that? Yeah. <laughs> I can say I've never done anything that sucks and I'm pretty proud of that. Um, winger doesn't make shitty records. We just don't do it. Just, just, <laughs> um, never have and never will. Right. And with white snake, you know, David had so many ideas coming into it. Um, and I'm a bona fide songwriter so and so is david and um you kind of can't go wrong you know i've been waiting to write with david for 16 years so this was my first chance to do it and it was a different experience than i thought it was going to be um but i did learn that boy david is a songwriter the guy's a songwriter um and he wrote those songs you know, he, he, you know, he didn't write the actual riffs, but he like, you know, still of the night, you know, he wrote the seeds of those ideas and, um, and he wrote most of the stuff on this new record. So you got good songwriters, um, David and, and also David would never, uh, you know, sacrifice, uh, the sound of something just to make the money. He already has all the money in the world. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know. When, when you're kind of taking the step up and, you know, ha- you know, having this collaboration with David Coverdale, who has, who always has a vision of what he wants to do. 
you know, what are you doing to help uh, facilitate that? Yeah, you do whatever you can that you in the 15 minutes that you have. You know, <laughs> it, it all goes by very quickly. You know, when you in a writing session with David lasts 15 minutes tops and he's going bang, 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 bang. He's talking fast and you got to stick right with him. Um, and if you're if you don't, you're out of the game. Boom. He'll write it with someone else, you know. Right. Um, yeah. You just got to you, you got to be coming up with ideas uh, off the top of your head that inspire him. You know, if you try and sit there and play him a like a rush riff or anything progressive, you're out of the game. Um, yeah, you just need to, you know, pick up that acoustic. He responds the best if you play him your idea on acoustic as opposed to playing him a tape of something you recorded, you know, two years ago. Okay. Um, you have the least production possible on, on playing David ideas because he likes to have the production ideas. You know, he's like, we could put strings on this and maybe a didgeridoo. Maybe a banjo. I hear a banjo. You know? <laughs> so the, the more you can do to inspire him, the better. Um, I forget what the question was. Oh, I was just uh, asking, you know, how do you go about this uh collaborative process you know what do you yeah yeah like you know in kind of uh extending on that what do you feel like you need to do to sort of tap in to what david might like you know you know what what do you feel like you how, how do you connect with him to be able to continue on you know doing stuff that is good well luckily Thank the Lord in heaven that I have a good ear. It's a damn good ear. And I was born with it. And, uh, you know, I was playing the piano when I was four years old. Um, and my parents thought I was a prodigy, but I wasn't. I just had a good ear. So when David plays me one of his ideas, I have a basic knowledge of songwriting that I learned from um, Kip Winger, who is a compositional genius. Right you know, in, in arranging and composition. Um, and so he taught me the basics of songwriting, um, you know, where to put the bridge, uh, you know, should we do a double chorus? Is this a good place for the solo section? Um, stuff like that. And I've gotten pretty good at it over the years. And, and when David plays me an idea, I, it's my job to, instantly here okay what does it need where, where do we need to go from here and you know pretty much dot the i's and cross the t's on the seed ideas that david has so it works out well yeah i know i've heard so many stories about uh david in regard and i know he does not like to waste time i remember hearing a story from joe elliott from Def leopard my favorite band of all time and he was saying that Back, this was like back in the 80s. I think they were, you know, Def Leppard was doing Hysteria and they were in the same uh, buildings. The studios were in the same building and he went into uh, a session, uh, you know, a Whitesnake session and David Coverdale nailed his vocals in one take and it just totally made Joe Elliott feel inferior. 
<laughs> like, you know, how, how, how is it like seeing, you know, David Coverdale work? Well, um, I've worked with him on vocals before and, uh, you know, I, I, I liked it and I think he feels comfortable with me because we've been working together for so long now. Um, and he trusts my ear. Um, you know, sometimes he, he might, uh, you know, sing something a, a little flat and I'll say, you're a little flat on this note and, and he'll, he'll get it right. Um, but like on this last record, I didn't, I wasn't there for his vocals as much on this last record. I was, I was there a lot for the record before it. I did the vocals with him. Um, you know, but David is working with David. He's, he likes to be a part of every facet of the making of the record. So he wants to be there when you're cutting guitars and, you know, he wants to be there when you're playing the keyboards and, um, and doing background vocals and, uh, you know, just for the whole thing. So he, he, uh, has ideas for everything. Yeah. You mentioned before, you know, how people thought about you when you're a kid, you know, they're throwing the word prodigy around and over all these years, you've been a part of a lot of great stuff and work with so many great musicians looking back, you know, how does it feel to, you know, have the career that you've had? It feels great. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. I was, you know, I was voted most likely to be a rock star in, in high school. And, oh. uh, I'm, I'm not saying I'm a rock star. I'm just saying I've I, I definitely lived the life of one and, um, and, and continue to do so today. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm very, I feel very blessed, you know, but um, I'm just, uh, I'm lucky. I had a stage mom who put me up on stage in fifth grade, you know, my son's much better than that little boy. And you know, I was like, you know, <laughs> I was like, you know, think about the sun Pippin and I was up there you know Oliva Oliva like in these weird little pants um just you know always on stage so it came very naturally to me to to get in a rock band and, and be on stage what kind of a kid were you you know what were some of the things that you did what were some of the things you'd like to enjoy to listen to or watch or do I was a um I, I was a rich kid. Um, Mom, dad had lots of money. And so I went to these really good schools. Um, so mom and dad could get rid of me. They, they would send me <laughs> to these fancy ass schools, but they were really good schools and they were especially good schools for creative kids. And I was a creative kid. Um, I went to the North country school in Lake Placid, New York, where you grew your own food and, you know, climb the Adirondack Mountains and, uh, you know, raised your own animals. And, um, and then I went to the Putney School in Putney, Vermont with Bob Dylan's daughter, Maria Dylan, And, um, you know, all these other rich kids were there, but cool rich kids, you know, and everyone smoked weed and you could be <laughs> naked and it was cool, you know. Um, you know, like a lot of skinny dipping and drugs and everything and, it was great. And, uh, and then dad started losing his money and I went to Fox Chapel high school in Pittsburgh where we lived. And, um, 
so it was really different for me going to a normal school that wasn't out in the woods, you know, where you could call the teacher by the first name and you didn't have a hall pass. A hall pass to me was the most ridiculous thing I ever saw. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, but in high school, I started really doing the music. I had five music classes in high school. And that's where I really started learning. But I forget, what was the question again? Oh, just how, how you know, just uh, what kind of a kid you were. Oh, yeah. No, I was a rich kid, but I was real good looking. And I was, I had a lot of friends. Like, <laughs> um, I had friends, there were like, there was the burnouts and the chaps. So there was the people that smoked weed and, and were called the burnouts and the chaps of Fox Chapel, where we lived, were, you know, the guys that wore the Izod shirts, you know, and played golf. <laughs> Um, and so I, since I was the head of the concert choir, um, I had a lot of friends in the choir and I had a lot of friends that were burnouts that hung out in the smoking room and they would all come to my house, uh, because I had my own property on 11 acres in Fox Chapel. Um, and it was called the pleasure dome and people would come to my house after high school and we'd have these huge parties. We'd drive to West Virginia, which was only 45 minutes away. Um, and it was the drinking age was 18 there. Then we'd get a big barrel every single day. We had parties at my house with like 20 kids. I had a pool and a tennis court and my parents <laughs> were never around. It was my own like apartment on the property. It was in the barn, so it was far away from everything else. And it was like, it was the life. Um, I had more sex then than I did when I, you know, got on MTV, you know. (laughs) (laughs) The the difference between going to like an art school and then, you know, going to like a public school, like what was the difference uh, for you? You know, was there anything that affected you artistically from going to both? Yeah, it was a big shock. I thought it was a joke. Just I, I just thought it was a big joke. Um, the public high school, after being in a school that was, you know, like I said, you call your teachers by their first name, and it was real laid back. And if you didn't feel like going to class, you didn't have to, you know, that kind of vibe. And then going right into a rigid school system um, was tough for me, and I, I rebelled for sure. I, I, uh, you know, I would leave school. I drove a car there when you weren't supposed to drive a car there. And, um, you know, I left school all the time. I, I failed gym because I, it was, they gave me basketball because I was, I didn't sign up for anything. I didn't know how or know that you had to. So I got put in basketball and I had never seen a basketball or held a basketball. <laughs> and, the, the, and and so the first day the coach is like get out there and play and I'm like I don't know how to play how do you play this game he, and he just gave me the ball and said just go and do it you know and so I got someone threw me the ball and I, I dribbled it the wrong way down the court and everyone <laughs> laughed at me so I never went back and I got an F in gym and had to go to summer school when do you feel like <laughs> Like you got your first big break in the music industry. Well, that's easy. Um, I moved to New York City and I got a job as a singing waiter. I had a friend who lived in New York and I I moved in with him. Um, I was a singing waiter for six months 
and uh, I was the only guy who wasn't an aspiring actor. Um, they were all, you know, um, wanted to be Broadway singers, you know, or, or were on Broadway um, and, and me, you know. And uh, I would hang around on 48th Street at Manny's and at uh, all the guitar stores there, Sam Ash. And I got to know all the people that worked there. And then I heard about an audition for Fiona on Atlantic Records. Yeah. And it was way out in Long Island. I remember taking the train out there. And uh, I got there. There was like 15 guys all sitting in a room. And all of them had spandex and big hair. <laughs> and... And and I and I was wearing exactly what I'm wearing now, and exactly what I've worn for my entire life: jeans, a t-shirt, and a hoodie. And that's what I was wearing. <laughs> and um, and I and I walked in, and there was uh, Joe Franco and Donnie Kisselback, Fiona's band, um, and they were wearing the exact same thing I was wearing: jeans and t-shirts and a hoodie. And we played 30 seconds of one song, and they said, "You've got the job." So I did the guitar on the Fiona record after they had had a handful of guitar players before me doing it. I guess they were looking for a certain thing and I did it and they were happy with it. And Bo Hill was the producer and he said, um, listen, I don't want to insult you, but how does $500 sound for playing the whole record? And I was like, $500, my God, thank you. That's incredible. <laughs> and you know, $500 to me was like $5 million at that time. So um, word got around that this kid, he's good looking, he's easy to work with, he plays great, he'll do whole records for $500. Um, and I got work. I did the Bee Gees, Shaka Khan, Howard Jones, Kenny Loggins. Um, you know, like I started being the go-to rock session guy at Atlantic Records. And of course, you know, that's how I got my foot in the door. But I was, uh, you know, I joined the union and, and got paid what you were supposed to be paid eventually. What did you learn during that time being a session musician? What did I learn? Um, that's, that's when I was learning from Bo Hill, um, who was really talented. I started to learn about songwriting um, from him. And when I did the Twisted Sister thing, Dee Schneider came in and he had these verses and choruses to these really good songs. It was for an album called love is for suckers, which is a great record. And, uh, and so it was my job to finish the songs with, uh, with D. And so I, I wrote, you know, bridges and outros and sections to just finish his song ideas. Um, that was a really, really great experience. I never laughed so hard in my life than I did in the month that I worked with D. Schneider. I bet. <laughs> He's a funny, funny guy, man. <laughs> I bet, I bet. You mentioned yeah. before that you came into this, um, you came into that opportunity, you came to the, that session, you know, just wearing the same stuff that you wear today all through your career. You know, is there an air of authenticity that you, you feel like that you've lent that has helped you, you know, stay in the music industry all these years? Uh, maybe, maybe that I'm just a big kid, you know, <laughs> I, I, um, I've always dressed the same. I've, um, I've always had the same attitude. 
Um, you know, I, I drink beer every night. <laughs> I still live the same exact way I did when I was 16 years old. So that'll probably catch up to me here pretty quick. <laughs> but um, but I, I I still have that have that thing. You know, sometimes when I'm up there with David and he does his scream uh, in still of the night, I get goosebumps and go like, wow, how lucky am I to be up here, you know, in front of 20,000 people at 56 years old. And that still happens. Right. You're a part of this really big band with, you know, you still, you know, still are with Winger, but um, you're a part of Winger during this, they're huge, they have all these hits, you know, and I think the underappreciated thing of Winger is that everybody in that band was so well-versed in music in so many different ways. You know, what's your, you know, feeling about that time, you know, when you first started Winger and you were working on these big hits, did you have any idea that, that any of that would have happened? And like, what's your idea of just everybody in that band? <clears throat> well, that's, uh, two questions, but um, I'll, I'll let me make it one here. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the wait. What was the first question? I'm gonna say the first question again. Um, basically, you know how you know how was it you know during that time, you know, working with okay, everybody in it. that in that group. I got it. Yeah. It, it, it was it, Winger was me and Kip. And when we first met, we hated each other, literally hated each other. <laughs> he thought I was full of myself and I thought he was full of himself. Um, and, you know, Kip, when, when you meet Kip, he's not, he's not so much the way he used to be anymore, um, but he, he is a little bit. He's, he's kind of soft-spoken and monotone. So he talks like this, like Morris the Cat. <laughs> and it, there's, it doesn't go up or down. It just stays right here. And, and that's just the way he talks, you know? And, and then, you know, I went to Denver and it turns out half the people in Denver talk like that. They're all like, Hey, good to meet you. How are you? <laughs> so, so, you know, when I finally got over that and, and hung out with each other a little bit, um, realized that we liked each other, uh, especially, the first day that we wrote together, um, it was Bo Hill who said, look, Reb, you're great at coming up with guitar riffs. Kip, you're an awesome um, arranger and compositionalist and um, a composer, rather. I don't think compositionalist is a word. Um, anyway, put us together in a room and we wrote 17, Madeleine, and Time to Surrender all in one day. Oh, um, the seeds for those ideas. Yeah. And all, all in one day. And, um, I didn't know I was a songwriter until Kip showed me. He's like, when I played him the lick for 17, he said, that's a chorus. And I said, no way. That's not a <laughs> chorus. I'm like, it's just a, just a lick that I play sometimes. It kind of, you know, it sounds like rat. It's kind of cool, you know? And he's like, no, trust me. That's a chorus. Now go to the key of a, and he turned on the, turn on the drum machine and, and I, he said, play a riff. And I played the riff first take. I just played whatever came to my head and it was the riff that became the verse. 
and that's how we write. And hopefully that's how it will go when I write with him in August. But the winger thing, you know, we were coming out in 1989. So we're an 80s band that came out in 89. Ooh, that's, um, yeah, that's tough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and when we came out, I mean, it had all been done before, you know, and we were just kind of riding on the heels of the 80s sound. Um, and we were put up on the shelf. It was That was going to be it for Winger. We were just going to be uh, another album that's up on the shelf. There was just hundreds of albums that Atlantic paid all kinds of money for that just didn't take off. You know, it didn't, uh, for whatever reason, nobody took the bait. Um, <clears throat> and then Rod Morgenstein knew a guy at MTV who got our video played at 2.55 in the morning on a Saturday night on Headbangers Ball. One play at 2.55 in the morning changed everything. All the radio stations started getting calls the next day. What's this band Winger? What was that? And uh, Madeline took off. But it, even then, it took a long time for us to go gold. It took six months for that thing to, to go gold. Um, and we had to buy onto the tour. We made no money with Winger. We signed it all the way to Bow Hill, all of it. Just, you know, publishing, half the publishing, points on the record, you know, of management, T-shirts, all of that. It was just the worst deal in history. I'd be a billionaire if I didn't sign that contract. Oh, damn. <laughs> He said, and, he, and Bo Hill said, if you don't sign it, we'll find another guitar player. We'll find someone else who will. But I was a naive little kid, and I wanted to be on the cover of Guitar World. That's all I cared about. And that's what I wanted. Um, so I signed it, and you know, I'm glad I did sign it because I, uh, you know, I had the success that I did. But I probably didn't need to sign it because I wrote all the songs anyway, so I still would have made the money. All these years later, you're still doing Winger. You're part of. You've been a part of of White Snake since two thousand zero or two thousand two, and like those bands were, you know, were bands that uh, were huge in the eighties, like uh, with um, Wingers. The end of the eighties, the nineties were tough with a, for a lot of bands coming from the eighties, and I don't mean just like those types of bands, even like thrash metal bands and. A lot of rock everybody. Bands. Everybody. The '90s was yeah. tough. How do you feel like, you know, this style of music that you've been able to do has been able to get past that time to where now, in 2019, you are you can do concerts, you can put out albums, you have fans still around. How how is that possible? Are you saying? Yeah. How do you feel like that was possible? Like. That it's that it just it just stayed around in some way. It seems to me that it would, you know, being a musical guy. I'm just a music guy. Uh, I listen to that music, and it's happy, good time music, and it's got great hooks, and you sing along to it, and you feel good. You feel like drinking a beer and smiling. What's wrong with that, you know? And then this '90s music, 
I would listen to it and go like, why do people like this? It's such a bummer. You know, it just brings you down. It's like, ooh, I don't get it. It's like dark bummer music. Um, you know, I, I'm not surprised that the 80s thing is still going strong. Um, and, you know, I see our audiences and it's, it's you know, it's not she's only 17. She's only 47 now. Um and, you know, yeah, it's an older audience, but they, they bring their kids and they all love it. And, you know, the young people love it, too. It's kind of undeniable. I'm, we're doing these songs with Whitesnake and our live thing. We're doing some new stuff. And the people learn the song after only hearing it once. You know, they hear the chorus to Hey You once and then... With, the rest of the night, they're singing, hey, you, the whole place, you know, it's just easy to understand. It rocks so you can bang your head. And it's not negative. Right. It's, you know, it's, a, it's about sex and fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Why with Whitesnake, do you feel like your new music, people will gr grab on and learn the new lyrics to right there on the spot, whereas maybe other old bands, like their new music is time to go to the bathroom? Yeah, man, I hear you. Um, <clears throat> I God, someone just told me a story about Tesla that uh, that a bunch of people at their show got up and left because Tesla decided to change their sound. Apparently, oh, They're, they 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 went Def Leppard. Uh, they got Phil Collins to produce their album and write all the lyrics and. Um, and I, I heard one song, and I couldn't believe it. It sounded exactly like Def Leppard. They've been doing nothing but touring Def Leppard, basically, for the past couple of years. Yeah, they're all good friends. Yeah. Um, and, I love, and I love Def Leppard. Yeah. Um, Tesla kind but, of put them I, on I, to begin with, so they're kind of, you know, helping them out now. Yeah, but Tesla isn't a Def Leppard band. They, they right. were always, you know, more raw yeah. You know, and um, and so I heard that a lot of people got up and left when they started playing their new shit. That's what um, Eddie Trunk told me. But, um, you know, our stuff, I keep waiting for people to get up and leave and none of them do because it's so easy. You know, it's wow. shut up and kiss me. You know, the band, <laughs> whole band stops, you know, the band stops and then we go shut up and kiss me. And everyone is just singing along with it. And then, hey, you, it's just two words, and you scream them out, hey, you, you know? <laughs> um, so it's, it's just really, you know, ABC rock. Um, and you, you kind of can't go wrong when you're playing in an arena. So I'm really, really encouraged that uh, it, it's going over big time uh, live. Right. And if the album's not even out yet, it's crazy. Yeah. I always like to uh, ask this question during my interviews is what's sort of a nugget of knowledge, you know, from your life or career that anybody listening to this, no matter what avenue of artistry they're coming from, could sort of project onto their own life? Wait a second. Say that again. What sort of like lesson from your life or career that anybody listening to this doesn't matter if they like rock music or not, if they're an artist, if they're a comedian, doesn't any sort of avenue of artistry, 
a lesson that they could, you know, that you could say from your life that they could project into their own life? I'd say the the best advice I can give is to stay positive. Is to, you know, <clears throat> think before you speak. You wanna you wanna be someone who's easy to work with, you know, and you wanna make people happy. Um, and you want to be prepared, do your gig, you know, don't show up not knowing the stuff, you know, know the stuff inside and out. Um, and, and, you know, just, you you just kind of want to keep it up tempo and positive and, and joyous and you'll do well. It's, that's the best advice I can give because, you know, the guys that don't last are the ones that are dicks. Or, 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 you know, obnoxious, <laughs> you know, like no one wants to be on the bus with that guy, you know, <laughs> or egotistical. The ego is the thing. It's like, I, I don't get, but, you know, it's there. There is that lead singer disease and, um, you know, and, and guitar players have it too. It's not just lead singers. But sometimes you come come across these guys that just think that they are gods, you know. <laughs> and it's just that is such a turnoff. I mean, in my line of work, you know, but it's common. And I always like to end my interviews with the same question. And if it's okay, and it's okay if you don't have an answer to this, um, who is somebody that's been a part of your life or career that I could realistically interview for this podcast that would have some good stories or lessons to talk about? Well, Kip Winger is amazing. He's a genius. And, yeah, he, he'd have a lot of good stories for sure about me. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we're best friends. Cool, cool. Yeah, it's been great talking with you. Uh, where can people go online to get more information about what you're up to? You know, anything you have to plug? Anything about White, White Snake? Anything about Winger? Yeah, I got a new solo album coming out in the fall on Frontiers of uh, just instrumental stuff, okay. guitar music. Um, <clears throat> and then Winger's right in, in August. Yeah, my, my website's not really updated. It's, I, I got to get on that. But, you know, just on my Facebook page. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, maybe we can talk again when uh, the other stuff comes out. All right, that was my interview with Brad Beach. The new White Snake album, Flesh and Blood, is available now anywhere you can buy music. There will be links in the show notes for this episode at freshisthepodcast.com to where you can get more information about how to purchase Flesh and Blood and to follow whatever Reb Beach and White Snake is up to these days, tour dates and whatnot. All right. Thank you for listening. Goodbye and good night. Fresh, 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 fresh is the word.